It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the. And there's a. Now that's a follow up question, <laughs> Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow up question right there. If you can be physical and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold and ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. Game week is finally here. Notre Dame will head down to Tallahassee this weekend for its season opener against Florida State on Sunday night. The Seminoles have struggled in the past few years, but you never know what a new season might bring. Uh, to get us up to speed on the challenges facing Florida State and the potential bright spots for the Seminoles, we invited the Orlando Sentinels national college football writer, Matt Marshall on the podcast. Matt, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. Matt, I think a, a natural place to start with Florida State is the quarterback position. Uh, head coach Mike Norvell hasn't named a starter yet. Do you think he's trying to keep Notre Dame guessing or he's not certain how things will play out on Sunday? You know, I think it's a little bit of the, the guessing game. You know, I, I think he, he understands that there's a lot of interest in this. I spoke this morning and he was asked sort of kind of around the uh, roundabout way about it. And he, he's just given very generalities about I, on the depth chart. I know Jordan Travis and Mackenzie Milton are both listed as, 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 you know, starters. Um, I, you know, at this point, I, I, I think he has an idea where he wants to pl- start the game. Um, but I, I also think he, he wants to play a little coy about it, you know, because he wants to make sure Notre Dame has to kind of get themselves prepared for both guys. You know, Jordan's a, a little different player than McKenzie is. Um, he's, he's probably the more athletic of the two quarterbacks. Um, you got a chance to see him last year. Uh, obviously, Notre Dame did, so they, they know what they're getting. McKenzie, is, there's a little bit of uncertainty because of his uh, knee situation coming off that devastating injury. You know, what is he going to be like when he gets on the field? So uh, I, I think that's, that's a little bit what's going on. I, I'm sure the person who's going to start, and he may not have told them just yet. I mean, he may want to wait until later on this week before he makes that decision because he knows that both guys are very passionate and both guys really care about that, that job. So um, I, I, it's one of the most talked about things around the Florida State program, believe me, because I think people are very interested, especially with Milton's story and how he's going to come back from that injury. If I remember right, it was kind of a mystery last year on who was going to start. And Jordan Travis was a little bit of a revelation uh, in terms of what he was able to do. He had a really good game against Notre Dame. I'm wondering just from what you've seen, though, in practice, Matt, if you were the coach, uh, if you had to step in for Coach Norvell and coach this game, who would you start? You know, um, I, I was at practice last uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, you know, went up there and, and watched them both perform. Um, if it's me and Milton's 100% healthy, I start McKenzie Milton. And, and it's just because I think he's got a little more experience in those games. I think what I've seen of how he runs the, you know, the 11 on 11, what we saw in practice, he, he looked a lot more comfortable. Um, I know he's still adjusting to their offense. I know there's some questions, you know, about durability. Um, but I, I think if Milton's healthy and you feel like he's the guy that gives you the best chance, I think you start him. And that being said, I wouldn't shock me that, that Norvell wouldn't play two quarterbacks in this game because I, I think at some point 
he's going to try to find put guys in the best possible spot. And I think, you know, he might, you know, you know, if Milton were to start, I think you'd see Travis at some point in the game because I think he maybe gives him a different dimension or it could be a flip. Maybe Travis starts and Milton comes in and gets an opportunity to play. Um, I, I think if it was me and, and Milton was healthy, just have what I've seen from Milton over the last, you know, a couple of years at UCF before he got hurt. He's a, a much, much more of a gamer type play, uh, a quarterback. He's the guy that can step on the field and make plays, make things happen with his leg. Uh, he's got a, a, a strong arm. Um, and I think he gives you a little bit of a, of a surprise, a little bit of a different dimension. That being said, like I said, with everything going on with his injury, you know, does Norvell want to throw him out there right away to start the game with all those emotions that are going to be going on that? Or does he want him to kind of get settled in? I, I think that's the question that, that Norvell's probably thinking right now. Matt, Milton is one of a number of transfers into the Florida State program that uh, I think the Seminoles are going to be counting on this year. How, how has Mike Norvell handled bringing all those different guys in and sort of melding them into the program? And do you think that a lot of those transfers will have as big of impacts as it seems that they may? Yeah, I think they will. I mean, I, I think, you know, listen, when, when Norvell got here, you know, because of what happened last year with COVID, I mean, his roster was in shambles. And I mean, he lost some guys to opt outs and some guys left the program. And I think in his own mind, he wanted to reshape this roster in the offseason. And, you know, he tried to he tried to do that through the recruiting channels. And I think he's done a good job of that so far. But then I think he realized he needed experience on this team. It was the youngest team in college football last year. He needed to bring some depth and some experience. So he hit that transfer portal really hard. And he brought in some guys I think that really going to help, not just a guy like Mackenzie Milton, but, you know, Jermaine Johnson, you know, the talented uh, edge rusher from Georgia, you know, Akir Thomas, another another edge rusher that he got from South Carolina. You know, they brought in uh, uh, Jamie Robinson, you know, uh, a defensive back that they feel like can help out. I think he brought in uh, all in total 13 guys. You know, they brought in, uh, you know, Dylan Gibbons, you know, a guy that they felt like could help uh, solidify, you know, the offensive line. He's actually going to start, it looks like, you know, a left guard. So I think what Norvell did is he wanted to bring that experience and he wanted to bring guys that could go into the locker room, go into the team meetings and really kind of help these younger guys who maybe were kind of thrust into positions last year they weren't really suited for. So um, I, I think that's what he's done a, a good job of mixing. And most of these guys have really kind of have, have stood out. They've been guys who've really been able to provide a voice and they've been really been able to help out. And I think that's why you see a lot of these guys listed on the depth chart starting this game. You know, Matt, when I watched Florida State in the last few years, and you look at the recruits that they brought in. I mean, they they had very good recruiting rankings and it didn't reflect it on the field. And so you kind of went, are they even trying? I mean, they had, I think, what, four guys drafted from their defense last year and they were giving up points right and left. And then yet they rise to the occasion and beat North Carolina on the road. Uh, but What's the culture like? I mean, do you feel like Mike Norvell is able to to maximize the talent because it didn't feel like that last year or when Willie Taggart was there? Yeah, I think Mike's got a better chance. I mean, you know, I think when Willie came in, don't get me wrong, I think Willie had the right idea. He was he was a guy that was a fan of Florida State, grew up, you know, being a fan of Florida State. You know, he's a guy who's done some 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 good things wherever he's been. But I think he just faced an uphill battle. I think I really do believe that when Jimbo Fisher left this program. He left it in, in a lot a worse situation than it had ever been in, you know. And, and I mean, talent wise, I mean, we we know that in the last year, Jimbo here, the reports were he wasn't really recruiting. You know, he wasn't even out there on the road trying to recruit kids. He was just, you know, trying to finish things out. And, and eventually, we saw why because he, he was he was leaving. Um, but you know, I think Willie tried to get some of those kids, and I think this is where Mike's doing a better job. If you look at his recruiting class for next year, you know, I think it's a top five recruiting class right now. Um, he's starting to get some of these kids. I think the hardest thing for a first year coach. 
And then even add to the fact that it was during a pandemic was to get these kids to buy into what he's trying to do. And I think, you know, um, he had some struggles off, off the field. You know, he said some things that I think upset some of the players that he didn't mean to, you know, maybe they just misinterpreted it, especially during the social, social justice uh, stuff that was going on. I think he kind of, uh, you know, said something that maybe kind of rubbed some guys the wrong way. They, they, they all made up after that. But even then, with the COVID situation going on, there were players who were upset because they felt like they were being treated unfairly because of COVID, you know, that they were being tested too much or they didn't want to be tested as much. And I just think it was a challenge for him. And I, and I think some of those guys he, he was able to, to key in on and were able to figure out that they were good players and some of them weren't. And I think at some point last year, you saw some of the guys that he felt like these are the future guys for our program. And some of these other guys weren't. So he was going to let them go on. Speaking of COVID, you know, <laughs> Florida is kind of the epicenter of the epidemic right now. And uh, also, I know that until recently didn't kind of have a surge in participation with vaccines. I saw tweets today that Myron Roll really helped out with that. So, So what's the COVID situation, both, you know, for people that are coming to the game to watch it and people that are going to be playing in it? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I mean, it's 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 we're we're in a pretty bad shape in the state of Florida. Obviously, we're we're trying to do the best we can to get everyone is vaccinated. But you know, because of our 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 situation, you know, there there is no requirements for vaccination or proof of vaccination to go to games. Most of the cases are, you know, you just they prefer you be masked up. They prefer you try to get vaccinated, obviously, but you're gonna have to wear a mask and go to this game. Um, you know, I, I think what Norvell said this morning was there over ninety percent of the team has taken the first step to get fully vaccinated. Which is, a, which is kind of the first time he's really said um, in, in, in a month over, you know, what, what give us a percentage. You know, we know that the ACC has their threshold at 85%. Um, I know when we saw them at, you know, the ACC um, uh, football media days, he, he said they were, they were close to 70 at that point. So, I mean, I think they've done a tremendous job. And you mentioned Myron Roll, former Florida State player, who has been really, I, I guess, kind of helped spearhead that. He, he spoke to the team several times and said, listen, you know, we got to make this move. And, and every coach is going to tell you, you know, it's, it's up to the individual players. They don't want to impose their will on these teams. But I think they understand. Florida State, of all people, should understand. They got hit hard. And Mike Norvell got hit hard. I mean, he's a guy who, who actually missed the Miami game because he tested yeah. positive for COVID. So um, I think he wants everyone as much as they can to be to be vaccinated. He doesn't want to to lose out games. And I spoke to a couple of players who said the same thing. They want to. The message in the locker room has been: let's get vaccinated. Let's make sure we can we can play these games because they're concerned that you know if they if they if something happens and they lose a game here or there, then the whole season kind of gets derailed. So um, you know, I, I would tell people, fans coming down for this game, you know, just to if you can get vaccinated and, and you know mask up and, and and wash your hands and do everything you can do because. Um, you know, again, it's it's uh, it, the numbers are high, and I know we're we're still having debates about this, but um, yeah, at this point, this is where we're kind of at. Matt, Matt, in terms of Florida State's season this year, they have some tough games on the schedule. What what are the reasonable expectations for a record um, for for Florida State this year? You know, I think if they get to, to five or six wins, I think that's huge for them. And I know Florida State fans don't want to hear, hear that. They, I've got some fans who told me I think we could get to ten wins, and I'm I'm like I don't know what you're what you're on or what you're drinking, but let me know because it sounds good. Um, but I, I mean five to five to six wins to me seems seems reasonable. I mean, you know, I, I think um, they're going to take a, a, a big step this year as long as they you know don't get impacted by COVID or lose games that way or lose too many of their players because of it. I think they have an opportunity. I, I think Mike Norvell, the, the players have been in his offense now. They understand it. They know what they're going to try to do. I think they're going to be a much better team 
running the football. I think their offensive line is more experienced than it's ever been. That's been a huge crutch for uh, a huge Achilles heel for them over the last couple of years. Their offensive line has been bad. And I think their defense now has playmakers, you know, their defense, you know, if, if their defense keeps them in games, you know, they have a shot, you know, so I think their chances there. The problem is you look at their schedule, like you said, there's, I mean, Notre Dame obviously is a challenge. You know, North Carolina was a challenge. You know, Miami's going to be a challenge. Um, and, and, and I just think that there's, and Florida at the end of the year is going to be a challenge. So, I mean, there, there's just, it's, it's going to be tough for them. I think if they could get six wins, I think that would be huge. They become bowl eligible. That would be huge for them, especially for Mike Norvell making the case to recruits. If you can go into a kid's home now and say, hey, listen, you know, we're bowl eligible. Next year, we're going to take another step and we're going to be maybe eight wins. I think that's that makes a, a big stride for them what they're trying to do. Yeah, just speaking of recruiting, I was doing a recruiting story and I was looking to see if Notre Dame was still on top of the rivals rankings. And I think on Friday they still were, but I saw Florida State was three and I went, whoa, they're they're making a move here. Uh, I'm wondering um, what you think the atmosphere is going to be like. I mean, are people fired up about Florida State football? Are they fired up about Notre Dame? Are they fired up about being masked up or, and being around all these other people with possibly COVID and possibly not. <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think it's going to be huge crowds. I mean, I, I believe in, at every, every stadium in our state, at least, I, I think you're going to see huge crowds this weekend. I think, I think people want to go to games. I think their last year was really difficult for people, obviously. And, and, and now you tell everyone you're allowed to go to games. Um, I think people are going to go and they want to see what's going to happen. And I think you bring in an opponent like Notre Dame, you put it on a Sunday night when there's really nothing else going on. I think you're going to get tons of fans wanting to see how this, this team is going to be. And then, like I said, there's, there's, there's some buzz because, you know, they brought in some of these transfer player transfer portal kids. Um, I think, you know, Milton's story is going to be huge. If Milton starts that game, I mean, that's, you know, TV is going to be all over that. I mean, that's, that's going to be the big buzz starting out because of what he went through, you know what I mean? And, and having spoken with his doctors, knowing that, I mean, it's, it's a tremendous story. So I think there's little stories that kind of got people interested. I think also the idea that people are going to be able to tailgate, you know, I mean, there, there are going to be people tailgating for this game for the first time in, in you know, a couple of years since what, 2019 almost. So, um, you know, I, I think people are excited by that. And, and I think it's, it, it's football now, you know, if, if, you know, will will not be made a full house, maybe there may be some people who decide to stay away because they, they, they're concerned about this, you know, and they want to just rather watch the game from home. But um, we have a lot of people who are excited about it. Whether they win the game or not, I think it's just the idea of being in a game and, and actually seeing it in person. Matt, as someone who covers college football beyond the state of Florida, I'm sort of curious, what what are the storylines or teams that you're most interested in tracking this season? Well, you know, I, I think the ones that I'm looking at are some some teams maybe have some big changes. I mean, you know, as much as everyone wants to talk about Clemson and Alabama, you know, those are two stories with, with two programs with, with new quarterbacks. You know, what, what are those quarterbacks going to look like, you know? Um, I, I think you look at Oklahoma. Oklahoma is is a program that's what ranked number two in the AP poll, um, and, and you know they've got you know Lincoln Riley's done an amazing job. Is this the year that Oklahoma kind of breaks through? I look at Iowa State, and I think to myself, Iowa State's a team that could surprise some people. You know they've they've got twenty returning starters. Um, they played for the Big Twelve championship last year. You know, Matt Campbell's done an amazing job. You know as, as a coach, um, I look at North Carolina. You know, North Carolina is the team that I think can can really shock some people. Mac Brown has done a tremendous job in North Carolina and just coming back and the way he's handled everything, the recruiting wise, what, what he's done on the field. Um, and then, you know, you, you, you look down, you look down the list and outside of Ohio State, who in the Big Ten do I, you know, is, is really going to make that push? You know, Michigan, everyone thinks Michigan might, but it's going to be Penn State. Maybe it's going to be Wisconsin. You know, the Big Ten 
it seems to be much like the ACC. It's either going to be, you know, one team and, everyone, and a bunch of other Rams, you know. So does anyone make a, a real push, you know, for Ohio State? And then the Pac-12. I mean, I, I mean, the Pac-12 is interesting to me just because, you know, again, who, who's going to be the team that comes out of that? Is that going to be Oregon? Is it going to be USC, uh, Washington? You know, there's a conference that a lot of people have a lot of faith in right now going into this season. And, and uh, you know, they didn't get to play even close to a, a half of the season last year. So it's going to be interesting. So this is kind of off the beaten path here, but who do you think Everett Golson will be cheering for in this game? And, and, and just to kind of follow up on that, what was the Everett Golson experience like when he was at Florida State? You know, it, it was, it was, I mean, that's a good question. I, I think he's probably rooting for Notre Dame. I mean, I, I just don't know if the, the, the Florida State experience was what he thought it was going to be. I know that, you know, he worked with Jimbo, you know, during that time period. And, and I remember that um, it, towards the end of it, it just became really weird and strained. I, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, I don't even think he went with them on the bowl game trip. He you didn't. Know? Like I, I mean, I, I he, um, you know, he, he almost kind of became distant himself from the program after a while. Once he once he wasn't kind of playing after he had that, and I think with Everett, you, you remember that there was that moment during the season where he'd start out really strong, and people kind of thought, "Oh," and then we kept thinking, "Wait till he throws that first interception, or wait till there's a turnover and see what happens." And then once that happened, it kind of derailed everything they were trying to do. I, I mean, you can make the same argument. Listen, uh, Notre, former Notre Dame quarterbacks and, and, and teams in the state of Florida really don't work out very well. I mean, you know, um, was it, Zaire didn't work out well at Florida. Yeah. Um, Brandon Winbush struggled at, at, at UCF. I mean, everyone thought he was going to be the guy, and he, he didn't get past one game, really. Um, so it's, it's interesting to me when, when, when quarterbacks from Notre Dame come down to schools here, <laughs> how sometimes now you start to wonder what's – there's a curse or something going on there, but yeah, I think, I think Everett's probably rooting for, for, for Notre Dame this weekend, probably not so much Florida State. Matt, uh, the, the three major programs in the state, Florida, Florida State, Miami can't seem to all be good at the same time or haven't been all good at the same time in quite some time. Do you, do you think there's a reason for that or, or is that something that can be corrected here soon? With It seems like, maybe some confidence in some of the head coaches at Miami at Florida state, getting those programs back on track. You know, I think, I think Florida's in a, obviously in a high trajectory, you know, obviously with Dan Mullen's done an amazing job there. I think getting him there has helped stabilize that program. I think they're a, you know, nine, 10, 11 wins team every year now with what he's been able to do. Florida state, obviously with everything that happened with Willie Taggart and, and not getting past what two seasons. And now you bring in Mike Norvell and, and the COVID situation. I, I think that's put them back. A while I've always felt like, I and mean, even when Norvell got hired, I felt like it's going to take him two or three years to get even to the point where they were going to maybe be an eight or nine win team. You know, um, I think Manny Diaz is, is getting better. I think that first year there was so much excitement, and then things didn't kind of go the way it was they wanted to. I think it's good to see them take that step last year. I think DR King has got a chance to be another if he comes back healthy as a chance to really put together a great season this year. So I I think they're they're right there as well. I, I think a lot of this also goes on recruiting. I think, you know, everyone thought that the state of Florida was kind of locked up by these three programs. And we've seen over the last decade, all these schools now coming from up north, coming into the state of Florida and recruiting and, and, and getting their best recruits. And I think some of the coaches that have taken over these programs didn't understand about, let's, how do you keep local kids here? How do you keep them in, in, in state and stuff like that? It used to be, a, you know, when Bobby Bowden and Spurrier and all those guys were here, that was their main message was, we can't let these kids leave the state and go somewhere else. We got to keep them here in state. And I think when you brought in guys who weren't from the state of Florida to be coaches, they kind of lost that. And I think then you've seen guys now go everywhere, go all, all over the country. Now I think you're seeing guys who understand how important it is to keep them there. Gus Malzahn at UCF is a great example now. He's not from the state of Florida, but 
His philosophy is we're going to coach the state of Florida. You know, we're going to keep these kids in here in the state. I think Dan Mullen's done a better job on that. I think Mike Norvell's starting to do that. So I think that's why some of these programs really kind of struggled over the last couple of years because they've kind of gotten away from that. They got enticed by the five-star kids, you know, in New Jersey or, in, or out west on the West Coast, and they've kind of forgotten that there's some, some talented kids still here in the state of Florida. Matt, real quick before I give you my last question, we had Bobby Bowden on the podcast back in 2018, um, and I – was explaining to him that, you know, Tyler was the host and that he was going to introduce the podcast and introduce him. Then we just have a conversation. When I got done giving that spiel, he goes, yeah, boy. So, <laughs> but he was awesome. I mean, he was a wonderful guest, just as you have been. My, my last question for you, though, is what's your perception and expectation for Notre Dame this year, kind of from the outside looking in? You know, I, I think that, again, I, I think this is a program that's it's a 10-win you know, program. Um, I, I think, for me, I have to see what, what's going to happen. At, you know, they've lost so much talent. You know, I mean, I know Jack Cohen's a good, you know, pickup, you know, obviously a quarterback. I know that they've got some, you know, some, some pieces in, in certain spots. Defensive line looks pretty good, obviously. Um, do, I, do I think they're like a playoff? caliber team right now i'm not sure just yet i think i still think there has to be some growth i really want to see how this defense reacts to the new defensive coordinator i think freeman is a everything you hear from people outside of of you know he's the job he did at cincinnati was amazing i saw got to see that uphand and personal last couple of years at ucf uh, when i was helping them cover that um so he's done an amazing job and he's a guy i think will be a future head coach as brian kelly has has has, has hinted at um, so I need to see what this defense can do. If this defense plays at that elite level and the offense can kind of find its, its stride. I mean, they've got a chance to be, to be there, but with the playoff being four teams and, you know, you almost, I think for Notre Dame, unlike like it was last year, I think you have to go undefeated. I mean, you almost have to go undefeated and hope that, that some people struggle in front of you because you get a loss anywhere on that schedule. That's going to be tough to find out. So um, I, I think where they're at right now in the, in the early rankings is where I probably would put them. Um, but I, I do believe that, you know, I, I need to see more out of them. And if they can gel and get together, I think Brian, I think Brian's done an amazing job so far with the program. Matt, last one I have for you. Most of our listeners probably don't know that you worked at the South Bend Tribune once upon a time. What's, what's your best Eric Hansen story that you can share on the podcast and won't make Eric too mad at you? Oh, best Eric Hansen story. That's man. That's a tough one. You know, I, I think for me, Eric was always just uh, the, the hard work that Eric had. And I'm not, this is not me blowing smoke up Eric. You know, this is, it's just being in the office all the time. <laughs> you know, I would see Eric, you know, all the time in the office, him and Vaughn McClure, when Vaughn McClure used to work there and, and you, know, uh, you know, my thoughts were with Vaughn's family, obviously, but um, you know, I mean, it was an amazing, it was an amazing time. And, and I tell people now, and, and this is no disrespect to any paper I've ever worked at or currently working at that. That was one of the best experiences of my life was being on that, on that desk. And because we had some amazing, talented people working there and we used to joke and laugh and everything was going on, but you know, with, with the job that Eric did and, and, and you guys were doing with, with Notre Dame was, was incredible. And, you know, my biggest thrill was doing game day covers, you know, and trying to come up with creative game day covers for everybody and, and, and try to make people, you know, smile or laugh about it. And uh, um, so uh, I, it, it's an amazing experience. And one of that I always treasure. And that's why when I'm always, uh, I, I'm always rooting for you guys, even through all the tough times that our businesses are going through, I'm always rooting for you guys and, and seeing you guys get through it. Real quick for our listeners, Matt was a design guy for us, an amazing design guy. My favorite cover ever was on recruiting day where Notre Dame didn't have a really great class. And the headline was, is the sky falling? And the G had fallen, fallen 
<laughs> it was great. Yeah, I think one of my favorite uh, was we did. I think it was when 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 Tuck was there. We did a story about sacks, and I did like a sack lunch, and I did all these little sacks like around the cover. I think it was something that we we did one time about like all the sacks that he had managed to get. I, I used to come up with some ideas. I remember Bill Belinsky used to always ask me, where do you come up with this stuff? Because I would just I would just come up with something and start doing it. So it's <laughs> I miss those days. We, you know, newspapers don't usually get that creative anymore. They usually don't have that kind of time and energy. So. Oh, tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, all right, Matt. We really appreciate you taking time to join us and appreciate uh, you sharing your insight and uh, look forward to, to seeing you on Sunday. All right. Look forward to it. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Let's make some prop bets for Notre Dame, Florida State. First one I have for us, Eric, is over under 230 rushing yards for Notre Dame. Well, Florida State's defense is really kind of the great unknown because of the transfers and because Notre Dame so easily ran over them last year. When Notre Dame was coming out of, you know, a COVID funk, they hadn't played in two weeks. They they had two buys in a row because of COVID. They come off, so it was their first game in three weeks, and they ran all over them. So, you know, Notre Dame averaged 211.6 yards. I think with the new transfers, Florida State's going to be a little bit better against the run. So I'm going to say under. All right, I, I'm I'm gonna go over. I'm I'm really interested to see what Notre Dame's running game looks like. Um, anyone who listened to the press conference yesterday might know that, given the questions that I asked Brian Kelly. Um, I I'm a so I'm not really exactly sure what it's going to look like. I I don't really know that Brian Kelly describing it as efficient and effective gave me a great understanding of what it's going to look like. I mean, I I could take have some takeaways from that, but. Um, I, I it's, it's one of the more interesting things to me and obviously something that we don't talk about as much because everyone wants to know what the receivers are going to be like and how Jack Cohn is going to play. Um, but I'm curious how the offensive line works together and um, if they can sort of maintain that high standard that was set last year. Um, well, so go ahead. Yeah, just following up on that, the hardest part for me, Tyler, with this question was where do Ian Book's rushing yards go? Like, Right. Is Jack Cohn going to be zero? Is he going to be in negative yards? Is he going to contribute a little bit? And and then do those become passes? You know, the book, book runs, do those become passes? Do they become carries for Kyron? So that's what was really hard for me to calculate. Sure. Yeah, and I, I might I, – I think if it wasn't Florida State, I might be a little gun-shy to predict that they would go over 230 yards, but they were just so bad against the run last year, and I'm not – I think they will be better, but I'm not sure how much better. Um, it seems to me like some of their transfers that they like, especially defensive ends, are probably better pass rushers than they are um, run defenders. So I'm not sure how much of an impact that will make. Um, so they rushed for 353 yards last year. Like you mentioned, they had the big game. Notre Dame rushed for more than 230 in five games last season. So it's not like they were doing that all the time. But I will, I will take the over um, for the season opener against Florida State. Next one is over under 250 passing yards for Florida State. Well, you know, they were close to that last year uh, with different quarterbacks, you know, of them. And 
Terry was the guy that really hurt Notre Dame last year to Morian Terry, and he's not on the team. Uh, he's he's gone. So nobody else. I think Ontario Wilson had two catches, and nobody else had more than one. You know, they have a lot of starters back on offense. This was kind of hard, but trying to envision what Marcus Freeman's defense was going to be good at. And I just think they're going to be hard to just kind of pick apart going down the field. If they're going to give up passing yards, it's probably in a big chunk play where they're taking a risk. I just don't see them getting to 250, so I'm going under. All right. You and I are not on the same page so far. I'm going over, and partially because this is my concern with Notre Dame's defense right now, I I think it could be – um, I could be proven wrong fairly quickly, but I just don't know that I saw enough in preseason camp to know how these cornerbacks are going to handle um, what's being thrown at them. Florida State might not be equipped to truly expose that, but um, I think there's a chance for some big passing plays to be made against Notre Dame's man coverage. Um, so I will predict that Jordan Travis, who threw for 252 yards last year, um, and Mackenzie Milton will combine for more than 250 passing yards. Next one is over under five and a half catches for Kevin Austin Jr. Well, Kevin has six career catches um, in a world of talent, and he's going back to play in his home state. Recruit him when every other national power did, um, and including the other teams in his own state. You know, I, I think he's going to be really eager to show everybody who he is. And yet, I don't, I don't. You know, if I'm Florida State, I'm going to try to take him away and maybe mess with Michael Mayer and the other wide receivers. Uh, I I just don't think – I think he's going to have games where he's over five and a half. I don't think this is going to be the one under. All right, we're on the same page for this one. I I went under two. I mean, I I would not be surprised if he went over. I may live to regret that prediction, but – uh, five catches seems like the sweet spot for me for Kevin Austin. So that was partly influenced by my five and a half number. And I thought it was, it was funny to put it at five and a half considering his career receptions as well. Um, I, I do expect if, if Kevin has like five catches that they will be meaningful ones. So I don't think that uh, uh, I think that he will be an important part of the offense. I'm just not sure how much the volume will end up being. Next one I have is over under four and a half sacks for Notre Dame's defense. Well, they had four in the game last year, and I think Travis and Milton move around enough, it's going to be hard to get to them. Florida State's offensive line was terrible last year. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's going to be kind of a blind date for Florida State's offensive coordinator, Dillingham. But I, I still think they're going to be just under. I, I just don't think there's going to be those quite that many opportunities. And, you know, again – this is kind of a test drive for Notre Dame's defense, and I think they're going to get better, but I think it'll just be under. I think it'll be three or four. Right. Yeah, I'm of the same opinion there, too, with the under. Notre Dame had five or more sacks only twice last season, um, and I think this defensive line has a potential to be better than the one that they had last year, but I don't know that I've necessarily seen that yet. Um, so I, I'm going to be conservative on the defensive pass rush. Um, to start the season, even though that Florida State's offensive line, I don't expect it to be a strength, sort of like you mentioned, how bad they were last year. I think 
they'll probably be a little bit better, but I don't know how much better they're going to be. They don't have a lot of big time recruits, um, which isn't necessarily necessary, um, but it's just is a, is a reason to maybe have some doubt that they'll be able to um, put together a strong offensive line this year. But I, I'll, I'll go under and we'll see what Marcus Freeman's defense can come up with. Next one I have for us is over under eight and a half tackles for Kyle Hamilton. I think he had eight in the game last year. Um, I went under because I think Hamilton is going to be doing a lot of different things. He's going to be in different parts of the formation. If I'm, again, Dillingham, Coach Dillingham, I'm going to try to isolate Cam Hart and Lewis, Clarence Lewis and test those guys and try to get them in situations where Hamilton's not playing center field. And I think they're going to have some success at being able to do that because Notre Dame's willing to play man. So I think it's going to be a little bit under, but he's going to have pass deflections. He might have an interception. He might have a sack and a tackle for loss. So I think that's kind of where his stat line, how it'll fill up. Yeah, I have the same belief that he'll be all over the field. Um, I just uh, I'm going to give Kyle Hampton the benefit of the doubt that he'll be able to get to get to nine tackles and, and sort of remind us what he looks like when he's fully healthy, um, because we might not have realized how how much he was sort of limited by that ankle at times last year, even though it didn't always show up. Um, but I, I do think it did affect him. Um, and uh, I do think that he should have a pretty big game against Florida State. And then lastly, a final score prediction for Notre Dame, Florida State. Well, this was th- this is a tough one for me to figure out. I kind of went with a lower scoring game. I think, uh, you know, maybe the offenses will be a little bit tight. So I went Notre Dame 27, Florida State 13. And it's the line is seven and a half, Notre Dame. All right. I am a little bit higher scoring. Um, I am predicting Notre Dame 35, Florida State 24. I think the the Seminoles will be able to cash in on some bigger plays um, to get some points on the board, which um, they actually were able to do that some last year too. Um, And uh, so I think – I think it might be a little bit of a close game early. Um, I think Notre Dame will pull away and probably win comfortably, but I think the score won't necessarily um, be that lopsided, though it certainly could end up that way. All right, now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys – are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at T James NDI and Eric's at E Hanson NDI. First one is from Wayne Oosteroff at W Oosteroff. First game, first road game, first game in over a year with the full house. What is the most important position group Sunday night and who needs to be the biggest impact player? Um, the most important position group for Notre Dame is their strongest one and it's their defensive line. And I think that will be the case. Um, I think that uh, uh, they need to control the run. They need to rush the quarterbacks. And I think that's going to happen. And that way they can kind of dictate the pace of the game and, and get Notre Dame's offense on the field. But I don't think the player that's the most impactful or needs to be the most impactful will come from that position group. I think, Jack Cohn has got to be in the middle of things. We've got to see a strong performance from him. This is the reason he 
is the number one quarterback. This is the reason they went out and got somebody like him that had 18 starts under their belt because he's played in atmospheres like this. And, you know, again, it's not like he's playing Wisconsin or Cincinnati in the opener. He needs to have a good game. So there's the promise of this offense growing with him as the season goes on. Yeah, I think those are both good choices. I went with the offensive line. Uh, they're usually, in my opinion, the most important position group. And I think that will be the case on, on Sunday, um, especially with a new group of starters in a hostile environment that the offensive line will really dictate how Notre Dame's offense can control the game. Um, and in terms of biggest impact player, I went with Kyron Williams because I do think I agree with you that Jack Cohn needs to be in the middle of things and they need to see like how much he can sort of expand the offense, how much the offense can sort of move with him. Um, but I think to beat Florida State, they don't necessarily need him um, as much as they would need Kyron Williams. So I, I, I went with uh, Kyron with the help of the offensive line, making things easier for Jack Cohen and the receivers and, and the rest of the Irish offense um, as, as someone who would be the biggest impact. Next one is from Irish Fan 102. What Florida State position group will have the biggest advantage against Notre Dame and which Notre Dame position group has the greatest advantage? That one was difficult for me. I don't think Florida State has a lot of advantages on position groups, but just purely on experience, I guess I would go with those the seminal defensive line with their grad transfers against Notre Dame's offensive line, which is really talented but hasn't played a lot together. And, you know, I mean, you look and you have – uh, preseason All-American at center and right guard, a future pro at right tackle, a big-time future pro at left tackle that's a freshman, and, you know, really good player at left guard who hasn't played that position before. So that left side is pretty exper- inexperienced, and so that's where I think Florida State may have the best chance to cash in. Flipping it to the other side, I think Notre Dame's defensive line is going to be a problem for a lot of offensive lines this season. And especially even with Florida State having so many starters back on it and adding Dylan Gibbons, I think that's a mismatch happen, especially with Notre Dame's depth on a hot, humid night. It's interesting to me that you think that Notre Dame's defensive line is the most important position group, but they're also the one that has the biggest advantage, where I sort of think of it the other way, like the one that, who you think is the that could be outmanned um, in the in Notre Dame's offensive line? That that's why they need to be the most important position group on Sunday night. So I think it's an interesting way to think about it. I, well, I, I just I, I think you know they that's going to be the strength of their team. They need to show up in a big game on the road. But yeah, I see what you're saying. It's it's the way you can interpret a question. But sure, I. I I used my old man logic. <laughs> no, it's not just the way. I mean, it's the way you sort of think about football too. I think that I think yeah. sometimes people think about it in different ways. And I think it's interesting uh, to think about that. I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you that, <laughs> I mean, part of the, your explanation is, well, it's really hard to find an area on Florida state's team. That's better than the, than Notre Dame. I, I, to me, and sort of harping on what I've been talking about is the cornerbacks where I have questions. So maybe Florida state's wide receiver group, is an area where they could be better than Notre Dame's cornerbacks. Now that's asking guys that haven't done it at Florida state to do that. I know um, Florida state likes what Andrew Parchment can do. He's a grad transfer coming in. They like freshman Malik McLean 
a lot as well. So maybe those guys have sort of their um, breakout at Florida State games against Notre Dame. Um, but even then, I, I don't I don't know how likely that is. But um, I'm not I'm and I'm not sure what would be second on my list. I guess I sort of understand your your point with the the, the defensive line. Um, and and I'm with you on the uh, greatest advantage. Definitely Notre Dame's defensive line is is the one that should be have the biggest advantage and, and should show up the most in terms of uh, making an impact for, for Notre Dame on Sunday night. Next question is from at ye Grek, Matt Salerno at putt returner question. And he said, what's up with that? Well, first of all, he's an either, or um, it's going to be Matt Salerno or Lawrence keys. And what they like about Matt Salerno is experience and ball security. And I know that's not exciting, but we had a chance to talk to um, Brian Pulley and the special teams coordinator last week. And I think you're going to see Notre Dame, and they did this last year, go after punts, go after the punter and try to pressure the punter more than they are trying to set up returns, at least in a game like this. Maybe when you have more of a friendly atmosphere and it's not the opening game and, and you're a little bit more tested, you may stick somebody else back there like a Kevin Austin or a Kyron Williams or a Lorenzo Styles. I think Lorenzo Styles may be the best punt returner on the team. Uh, so, but yeah, so that's what they're going to do. Again, Polian's philosophy is even if you don't block the punt, if you can get the punter, instead of launching a 44-yarder without – you know, with hang time and it becomes a 34-yard punt that goes out of bounds, you've basically got a 10-yard return. Yeah, and Pullian was adamant that we will see some other guys back there this season. It wasn't just going to be Matt Salerno at punt returner, um, but they trust him the most. And on the road at night in the season opener uh, might not be the best spot to, to sort of throw someone else in there. So I think that's why we see him listed that way, but um, certainly – um, if Brian Pullian is true to his word, we will see some other guys back there returning punts this season. Next question is from Baba Ganoush at PLACT underscore ITFDB. If, or as we all know, it should be balmy down in Tallahassee Sunday night. What impact do you think the humidity will be on Notre Dame's players versus Florida State? I'm sure it gets humid in South Bend, but I doubt it gets as humid as Florida in August and September. Well, your weather in thinks Baba Ganoush are really good. In this case, it's been a weird summer here in South Bend. So we've actually matched those numbers a lot, including last week. It's supposed to be a high of 90 and a low of 70 on Sunday, 63% humidity during the day, rising to 80 at night. That's almost uh, the first open practice we were in of Notre Dame's. It was very similar to the weather we had here last year. Now it got cooler this week. Uh, there, there were a couple days where the heat index was so high, Notre Dame was not allowed to tackle outside. So they had to move their practice indoors to be able to do some tackling. So I think they're going to be ready for this. I, I think it's, you know, normally South Bend would not be a good preparation for Tallahassee. They had the Tallahassee weather this time. Yeah, I, I, I looked up some numbers as well. Uh, weather, what, according to Weather Underground, um, at 6 p.m. on Sunday, it will be 83 degrees and a 59% humidity. 
and the temperature will go down from there and the humidity increasing. Um, and so 78 degrees with 70% humidity um, around eight o'clock. Um, today, Tuesday at 4 p.m., it's supposed to be 82 with 43% humidity. So certainly a little bit more humidity. Last Tuesday was the hottest day we had. It was 93 degrees and 54% humidity during practice. So the humidity is a little bit higher, but it's not that significant, I don't think. So I think Notre Dame will be pretty well prepared. And I don't, I don't know if, how you can, if you can measure the humidity inside the uh, IAC, the Irish Athletic Center, but that place is always feels sticky and gross to me. So it's hot in there. They, they, whatever cooling system exists in there doesn't seem to be um, the best or they're that interested in using it. Um, so I think uh, the conditions that Notre Dame has been practicing in should prepare them for, for what they'll face on Sunday night. Next question is from Scott Reed at Greedy1967. Who will be the player we will talk about most on Monday, good or bad? Well, I think I was torn between two. I, I think we're going to be talking about Kyle Hamilton. Part of the reason you mentioned earlier, we're going to see a healthy Kyle Hamilton. We're going to see him do things that we haven't seen him do at Notre Dame. Things that he did in his very first practice at Notre Dame that got us excited and that's you know breaking up passes and picking the ball off but I think the other person that I really think that we're going to be talking about is Jack Cohn because a lot of people just don't have a feel including me for exactly what he's going to look like in a Notre Dame uniform again I've seen him a couple games Wisconsin games one game that I was really impressed with him uh but and I, I'm not sure how it's going to translate. And so how he looks is going to uh, influence on how people think about this Notre Dame team, I think, going forward. Yeah, I, I, to me, Jack Cohn was the, the number one answer. No matter, in my opinion, no matter what happens, he will be a hot topic of whether or not he looks good or bad. Um, and we will be projecting what he could be beyond that performance. Um, Kevin Austin, to me, is a close second if he has a big game. He could be number one because he's another guy that people we have been telling people about for so long that they just haven't seen it. And so I don't know if people think we're crazy or um, Kevin Austin is just unlucky. But um, I think uh, there's a chance that he could have a very big game and, and, and fans will start to see what we've seen and what his teammates have uh, have seen and, and sort of given him praise for um, throughout his time at Notre Dame. Next question is from at Drew Brennan 77. We have heard good things on seven wide receivers coming out of fall camp. Um, those seven being Braden Lindsay, Kevin Austin, Lawrence Keyes, the third, Avery Davis, Joe Wilkins, Jr. Deion Colsey and Lorenzo Styles Jr. How do you expect the Irish to use them in the Florida state game? Do you expect all of them to see playing time? Uh, you know, with it being as warm as it's going to be. And so many of those seniors having strong, fall camps, I think you're going to see the five seniors a lot and you'll see them kind of rotate out. I still think, you know, Austin, you're probably going to get most of that. I'm not sure about us seeing much or any of Colsey and Styles, And part of the reason is Notre Dame's kind of commitment to being uh, variable from a formation standpoint. We're going to see some two tight ends. We're going to see some two running backs were Kyron Wilson or Kyron Wilson, Kyron Williams. <laughs> yeah. Wilson now um, will line up as a wide receiver. Sometimes Chris Tyree and Kyron Williams 
will be lined up as receivers. So those are going to take from maybe Styles or Colsey. Again, if the game got lopsided in the fourth quarter, maybe they feel a little bit better about putting those guys in. I think you'll see them play in most games. I just don't know if this one lends itself to it. Yeah, I, I don't expect to see Colsey playing yet. Um, I'm not sure about Styles either, even though he was listed as Braden Lindsay's backup on the 2D depth chart. But I, I believe, and I think you're in agreement with me, that we, we will see more of Wilkins and Keys in that role um, than Styles on Sunday. Um, I think you're right. Those five older guys will be the ones that are playing the most um, with Austin, Lindsay, and Davis, I think, being the three at the top, and then Keys and Wilkins rotating in. Um, and like you mentioned, with the rotation of um, – Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree playing some receiver or lined up as receiver. They might not always be running receiver routes always. Um, And then the opportunity to play multiple tight ends. uh, I think um, those five guys will probably be the ones that see the most action. Um, And uh, it might not, might not quite be time for Deion Colsey or Lorenzo styles, but I think they're definitely confident in their abilities to help them if they need to. Next question is from Bert Leonard at Bert two, eight, three, four, who gets more carries Kyron Williams or Chris Tyree and Sebo Flemister combined? Well, again, the math in this is where do books carries go? Do they go to Kyron or do they go to Tyree and Sebo and maybe Logan Diggs as well? I, I still think Kyron is your primetime guy that's proven in these big games. So I think Kyron has more carries than those two other two combined in this particular game. Yeah, it's it's Kyron. I'm not uh, unless there's like some big role for Sebo that I'm not exactly anticipating. I'm not sure that it'll be particularly close. I think Kyron's going to get the the vast majority of the carries throughout the season. I do expect Chris Tyree to get more carries than he did last season, but I still think Kyron's still that clear number one with them finding different ways to get Chris Tyree involved. Um, next one is at Buster Biven. How many freshmen do you think will make the travel roster to Florida State? Usually it's about nine or ten, I think, because uh, I always count that up. Um, but when I try to count this up, and, and keep in mind, they like to bring freshmen that may not play back to their home state. So like Caleb, um, Caleb Johnson, Cala. I could see him making the travel roster. I ended up with 15. Uh, and, and again, I think they'll take Buckner as well, Tyler Buckner, even though he may not play and they may have no intention of using him. They want that third quarterback there and they want him to experience these road venues because there's a chance he's going to open his 2022 season at Ohio State as possibly the starter. So they want to get them used to that. I came up with 15, and that seems way too many. <laughs> I, I had 15 as well, so you're, okay. you can't be, you're not too crazy. Okay. Um, I uh, I can sort of run through them. Tyler Buckner, I think they'd bring both running backs, Logan Diggs and Audrick Estime, um, Lorenzo Styles Jr. and Deion Colsey, even though we don't think that they would necessarily play a ton on offense, that they'll bring those guys. Um, I imagine one of the at least one of the freshman tight ends, um, Blake Fisher, uh, obviously, as, as the starting left tackle, Rocco Spindler, I, I think, would be there. Defense was a little bit harder for me to predict. Uh, Kahanu Kia, I've liked some of the things he's done. Maybe there's a special teams role for him. Um, Gabe Rubio, I think they need some 
depth there on the interior and with Aiden Kiana Ina um, out with an ankle injury this this camp. So maybe that opens the door for Gabe to, to travel. Um, Prince Kali, maybe as a special teams guy. Um, I think I think some of the freshmen in the secondary will travel, like Philip Riley, I think will be a guy. He's a guy that uh, Brian Pullian has, has singled out as a guy he likes for special teams. Um, maybe JoJo Johnson, Justin Walters. And then I think there's, they still have to bring Josh Bryan along um, as the backup kicker. Um, so those are my 15. So I don't know if that was enjoyable podcasting or boring podcasting, but those were, those are the 15 guys I had on my list. I had a few variations, but I, we were kind of thinking along the same lines. Uh, next question we have is another freshman question from Chris Scheiber at Scheib 43 and over under of the four of the 29 freshmen, including walk-ons that are listed on the official 2021 roster. How many will burn their red shirt and play more than four four games. He said he was setting the line at 15 and a half. Well, I think it's going to be under that. I came up with seven that I was really confident about and five that I kind of had in the maybe category. So I came up, that would make me at 12. And I had Colsey, Colley, Barong, Diggs, Walters, Styles, and Fisher as my absolutes. And then probably Kia, Rocco, Barnes, Rubio, and Buckner. Yeah, I, we, we were actually asked a similar question to this back in June, but from at the underscore Jack attack, he, he set the number at 13 back then, and I went under at that point. So even though I've seen more of the freshmen now, I, I, I'm not going to increase that. I, I, I feel I would be surprised if more than 15 players uh, um, didn't redshirt. Um, I don't. I, there's certainly a lot of guys that I think are capable of playing, but they just don't need them based on the team that they have. Um, there's not a lot of holes for freshmen that will be required to play. So I think obviously there's a handful of guys that are most likely like um, Rocco Spindler, Blake Fisher, the running backs, the receivers. Buckner, I'm not, I'm not sure about, I mean, it, it sort of depends on what they, they want to do. You think they want to get him in some games um, to get some action, but it depends on whether or not it's just those a handful of games or if they try to get him in more than that. Um, I think the, the DBs that I mentioned previously, Philip Riley and, and Justin Walters, maybe, maybe those guys don't redshirt, but I, I think Notre Dame has the luxury of not having to push too far with these freshmen. And also Brian Pulliam mentioned that he doesn't necessarily need a ton of freshmen to play on special teams either because he has so yeah. many returning guys that, that will be on the coverage units that sometimes you'll see defensive backs or um, linebackers running down there on coverage um, to do that. But they, they have enough of those guys where they're not going to necessarily need to, to rely on some of their freshmen to do those things. Last question we have is from at coffee, dark roast when rotating linebackers, will they be rotating off of flow and rhythm to start? Or is it based off of matchups? Like who can cover running backs in the flat on third down, et cetera. Also, are you an even bigger fan of the Levitard show now that ND alum Jessica Smetana is on the podcast? Well, I'm a big Jessica fan. She's been a guest on our Pot of Gold podcast. So that elevates both her status and our status <laughs> together. Um, and then the way the linebackers will rotate in. Yeah. I think you're going to see kind of both. I think you'll see maybe some transition series to series in terms of who starts out. But Notre Dame's going to have niche packages. There's one package that we saw 
But Jordan <laughs> Batello was playing middle linebacker. So you're you're gonna see some different personnel groups, but you know, I could um especially if Marist was was still there, I, I could see Marist starting one series, JD Bertrand. Uh, that's not going to happen now since Maris is not on the team this year. Uh, but I would say maybe at Rover you'll see Kaiser a series, then you'll see Isaiah Pryor a series, that kind of thing. And and uh, I think you'll see Bo Bauer rotate in maybe for Drew White. So, yeah, it'll be um, not quite like a hockey line coming off the sidelines in the middle of a play, but uh, um, it'll be somewhat semblance of that. Well, I chuckled when you said that kind of thing because that's a, a Greg Cody-ism. Uh, Greg Cody is a columnist for the Miami Herald who appears weekly on the Dan Levitard and Stu Gott okay. show. And uh, so that, that made me kind of chuckle. Um, to get to the linebackers first, I think, like you are like you said, I think it would be a little bit of a mix. There will be some, some rotation maybe sort of like you see with the defensive line, but I think there will be more mixing and matching based on down and distance and the offensive personnel. I, I – I, just, I, I'm curious how people receive the what you said about Jordan Botello. I, w- I would like qualify that he wasn't necessarily playing middle linebacker. He was sort of lined up where the middle linebacker would start at the beginning of the play. Right. He, so he wasn't. I don't know that he would be was playing exactly the traditional middle linebacker spot just to uh, avoid. Although in high school he was an inside linebacker. Right. Right. Yeah. He has ex- linebacker experience. Um, I do think the Maris Leafau injury limits some of the options that they probably would have had in terms of the mixing and matching and the different alignments that they will use. We've, we've gone over that after last week, after we heard of Maris injury, as for the Levitard show, I imagine that question was geared towards me because I am a big fan and anyone that sees my Twitter from time to time probably knows that. Um, I, I don't know that I could be a bigger fan of the show that I was previously, but it's been really cool to hear Jessica on it. And she's done a great job uh, fitting in. That's um, not an easy task with, the way their show works with such an established group in the shipping container. Um, and I have to uh, give a shout out to Mike Varell for getting me into the show. I was uh, an SVP and Rosillo fan. Um, and then when that show was ending, I was looking for something new and Mike pushed me in the direction of the Dan Levitard show. And uh, mm. it, uh, it occupies a lot of my time. I, a lot of my spare time doing dishes and laundry and anything around the house. I usually got their podcast going on in the background. And I'd like to thank Mike Varell for introducing me to cookie cakes. <laughs> I think Hunter Spears was the one who introduced you to cooking cakes. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't give me a sample of one. <laughs> that's fair. All right. That's it to, for today's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, shoot us some stars and leave a review. Uh, we'll be back next week with a Florida State review and its Lido preview. Until then, stick with NDInsider.com for your Notre Dame football pregame and postgame coverage needs. <laughs>